0: Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. I'm Adam Masters. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane.
1: Thanks, Adam. And good day, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a song called The Windwells of Your Mind, which was uh, written for the film of the same name in the late 1960s. The music was by Michelle Legrand, and the lyrics, I think, were by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. And there's a lyric in there which I particularly like. It goes something like this, like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending or beginning on an ever-spinning wheel. That lyric I find quite amazing, and it reminds me, I guess, of the cycles in life, whether it be the cycle of day and night, seasons, tides, weather cycles, um, cycles of fertility, birth and death, cycles are a natural part of life. And so it is with economics and investment markets. They all go through cycles. Some are regular, some just rhyme, despite attempts to end or subdue them via economic policy and regulation, the cycle lives on. And of course, it causes much angst at times, particularly for investors, but also for people who are adversely affected by the economic cycle when you get cyclical downturns. Usually when we declare investment cycles dead, they come back and bite us. But what are they? What causes them and why do investors need to be aware of them? I guess the first point to note is that cycles in investment markets invariably refer to swings between good and bad returns. They usually take their lead from fundamental economic and financial developments, but tend to be magnified by waves of investor optimism. Economic conditions are good, investors get very optimistic, and that pushes share markets to levels that would otherwise not have been justified, and vice versa when times are bad. Basically, there are three cycles of particular relevance to investors. First, we have the long-term or secular cycle these can relate to 10 or 20 year periods of secular bull or bear markets. This is most evident in the US share market and illustrated in what I regard as one of my favorite charts. Of course, you can't see it in the podcast, but if we go back to 1900, there's been several bull phases. In the 1920s, obviously with the roaring 20s, the post-war period in the 1950s, 1960s, based on consumerism, aviation, petrochemicals and the like. And of course, then in the 1980s and 1990s, the 1990s, of course, was associated with the IT boom. And you could argue more recently, we've had a secular upswing starting around 2012 or thereabouts, particularly based again around IT. Of course, those last long-term upswings in the 80s, 90s, and also more recently were associated with very low interest rates. And of course, uh, economic rationalist policies. Now, of course, in between those periods, we have longer-term bear markets, not necessarily where markets go down forever, but where they range sideways, the 1930s and the 1940s, the 1970s, of course, associated with very high inflation, and, of course, the 2000s in the US, which were not particularly good at all, although they weren't too bad for Australia, where we had the resources boom. but, of course, the US was hit by the tech wreck, and then the GFC. Traditionally, it's it's often the case, not necessarily traditionally, it's often the case that those longer term bull and bear faces are associated with technological developments and sometimes referred to as Kondratiev waves. Now, of course, Kondratiev was a Russian economist, Nikolai Kondratiev, who unfortunately ended up in a Russian camp and got the death panel in the end because his conclu- conclusions didn't align that well with Stalin's views at the time. But he basically posited that you get these waves of innovation and, of course, that drives economic growth, which, of course, supports share markets. You could go way back to the 1780s with the first industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution, a bit thereafter. And then, of course, in the 1920s, Uh, with electricity, chemicals, internal combustion, engine, mass production, and so on. And, of course, another one in the 1950s and 60s, and then, of course, the IT revolution more recently. All, of course, associated with very much um, uh, technological innovation. Now, of course, at the end of these, we go through rough periods. And, of course, the most recent experience was that period in the 2000s with the Tech Rec and the GFC. Now, of course, that's the longer term cycle, and it's very nice to go through one of those because when you dig at cyclical or short term downtrends within them, they tend to be relatively shallow if the broader trend is up. Now, of course, that brings us to the business cycle. This is the best known economic cycle and has a duration typically of around three to five years can vary a bit around that. It tends to relate to the standard economic cycle where after a few years of economic expansion, inflation and various imbalances build up, that results in monetary tightening, which leads to a downturn or a recession. Inflation then falls, we get monetary easing, lower interest rates, which then sets the scene for the next upswing. And of course, that tends to be associated with cyclical swings in investment markets. It's also the case that shares tend to lead the business cycle, often bottoming several months before an economic trough and peaking several months before a top in economies. Property markets tend to be more coincident, but, of course, things can vary quite a bit around that. It's most evident in the annual swings you see in share markets. We see a lot of noise. If you look at shares in Australia globally over the last 12 months, they've had a bit of a rough ride. Of course, uh, go back 12 months ago and it was a lot stronger. You get these big swings and they tend to be associated with that shorter term three to five year economic or investment cycle. Then, of course, we've got short-term sentiment swings, and that's the swings you get from day to day, week to week, month to month. We had a really rough trot through June, and then, of course, July was a lot stronger, and that's the swing from markets going from oversold to overbought. It can often be driven by investor sentiment, but it also can be associated with swings in economic data, as economic and profit data tends to run through hot and cold patches, particularly relative to what the market expects. And traditionally, when you hear of corrections, it relates to this very shorter cycle. Now, of course, there's a bunch of observations that can be made about these sort of cycles. The longer term, 10 to 20 year chondratia for secular swings, the investment cycle, three to five years, and of course, those shorter swings that can be monthly or even daily. Several observations. First thing is that no two cycles are the same. They do have common features. hence the old saying. i think can be attributed to mark twain although there's some debate about that that while history doesn't repeat it rhymes so often when you look at these cycles they have common elements there's also cycles within cycles much like within the windmills of your mind for example we saw a cyclical downtrend or downturn in the u.s share market and in the global economy in the 19 the late 1990s going into the early 2000 period that coincided I guess at that point in time, with a secular downswing, which made the cyclical swing in the early 1990s a lot worse. But within those cycles, if you take the longer term secular cycles in the 19, for example, the bear market of the 1970s and also the 2000s, you can see lots of periodic cyclical swings in markets. Um, even though the broader trend can often be to the side. Likewise, in long-term secular upswings, you can go through lots of cyclical downswings. For example, the 87 crash was in the midst of a very strong period in the 80s and 90s. And of course, it was soon forgotten about. But at the time, it seemed like a major event. Now, one of the concerns, though, of course, is when cyclic cycles combine, the impact can be quite large. And of course, as just, I just alluded to there, that period when the the boom in the, in the 80s and 90s ended, and we got a cyclical downturn, or a shorter-term cyclical downturn in the US economy at the same time. That associated with the tech wreck, and we got quite a sharp fall in share markets between the years 2000 and 2003. Sometimes called the tech wreck, sometimes called the corporate crisis in the US despite various attempts to smooth these cycles out via economic policies or declare them dead. Over the decades, I can remember several occasions where people have declared the business cycle, investment cycle dead because of the decline in manufacturing or the inflation cycle is no more. We don't have to worry about that. But then, of course, cycles live on. And I think that's key for investors to allow for that. Cycles can be self-limiting. This is the fifth point I want to make in relation to investment cycles. When you get a downturn, you get lower inventories, pent up demand builds up, and you get lower interest rates. That sows the seed of the recovery. Likewise, when you've got slumps in share markets, that makes shares cheaper, and ultimately when the economic recovery comes through, shares start to anticipate that, bargain hunters come in, and then you get the seeds being sown of a new bull market. Investment cycles obviously provide opportunities for investors. For example, to buy into dips, and cut exposure into the upswings but of course trying to time investment cycles can be particularly difficult no one rings the bell at the top or the bottom i know a lot of people try to sometimes they get lucky but no one is consistent so trying to rely on someone to ring the bell for you when to buy at the bottom and when to sell at the top is i think wishful thinking and given the natural psychological tendency of individual investors to project recent market moves into the future, and also to seek out and find safety in what the crowd of other investors are doing, the tendency or the main risk, I think, for investors in seeking to time investment cycles is that they end up wrong-footed. By selling after big falls, you know, markets come down, everyone's selling, I better sell too, and buying after big gains. You know, the market's gone up a lot, I better get in because everyone else is and looks like this is going to continue. You get wrong footed by those sorts of swings. You end up simply buying high and selling low and that destroys your wealth. So for most investors, I reckon it's more important to be aware of cycles, understand that they are normal, but then take a long term approach to investing that looks through them and makes the most of compounding of returns over long periods of time to grow your wealth. So i guess the question is where are we right now quite clearly we've seen a surge in inflation monetary tightening higher interest rates that's leading to slower economic growth so in terms of the three to five year investment cycle or business cycle we are in the downturn phase you can debate whether that's going to bottom soon it may already have bottomed we've seen more than 20 percent falls top to bottom in us and global shares a bit less than that in australian shares so we may have seen the bottom but by the same token there's still uncertainty about how severe economic downturn will be, whether we'll have recession or not, whether it will be a deep recession, and that suggests to me that we may still have some more downside here in this cyclical downswing. Of course, in a longer-term sense, you could also argue that the higher inflation we're now seeing may be a feature going forward, and in past podcasts I've referred to reasons why that may be the case, maybe not as high as it's been lately. Um, but Uh, we're gonna end up with higher inflation over the years ahead than we had in the pre-pandemic years. If that's the case, then that may act as a bit of a break on returns we get, particularly from global investments over the next, say, decade or so, relative to what we've become used to. By the same token, Australian shares with the greater exposure to resources may be better placed in a longer-term context. Now, of course, there's a couple of other cycles of relevance I wanted to refer to. First one is the seasonal pattern. We do have a seasonal pattern, tends to be the case that markets start the year off quite optimistic, they run up to a high around mid-year sometimes, the old saying, sell in May, go away, and then of course you get weakness into September, August, September, October, November, and then of course the cycle repeats again. Now that cycle has its origin in crop cycles in ancient times, but of course in more recent times with the US tax loss selling which kicks in after the end of the US financial year, as investors sell losing stocks to book capital losses to offset against their capital gains. That leads to weakness through the period of August, September. And then, of course, as we come into year end, that tax loss selling abates. Investors have got to buy back in again. You get a wind down in new equity raising, new year optimism, and the reinvestment of bonuses. And that gives you a rally into year end, which usually continues into the next part of the year. Now, right now, you'd have to say we're in a period of seasonal weakness that runs into October, which is another reason why it's quite possible markets may see more downside in the very short term. The other cycle worth mentioning is the political cycle. Now, of course, in Australia, we have an irregular political cycle because the elections can occur all over the place, but in the US, it is quite regular. There is a precise four-year federal political cycle, and this has given rise to a fairly regular pattern it tends to see below average returns in the first two years after a presidential election, but above average return in the third year and to a lesser degree in the fourth year. Now, right now, of course, we are in the second year of the US political cycle and Joe Biden's presidency, and that is known for subpar returns, which we are seeing. And those subpar returns typically continue up until just prior to the midterm elections. Thereafter, which of course is in November. Thereafter, the US political cycle for share markets returns become normally more positive. After the midterms are out of the way, even if the president loses control of both or one of the houses of Congress, it typically is the case that shares rally. And then you see the strength through the third year of the US presidential cycle. So that tends to align with those seasonal patterns that I referred to. Yes, we could see more weakness, over the next few months, but then you might get strength after November. So bottom line of all of this is, I think for investors, beware of investment cycles. Understand how they influence one's investment psychology. I think all of that is incredibly important for investors. But the trick I think, the key in all of this, is to recognise the difficulty in trying to time those cycles precisely. If you have a great process, then fair enough, have a go. But if you don't, and you don't want to put the time in, I think the key is to take a long-term approach to investing that looks through these cycles and makes the most of the compounding of returns over long periods of time. And that is one of the best ways to grow your wealth. So I hope this has been of value. Until we meet again, adios.
0: Now, to stay up to date on all the latest from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider seeking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.